This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. You may be seated. Kids, you're staying in here today, unless you're of the real short variety. I think there's somebody in the nursery. Good morning. Did you guys uh, find your new seat yet? We're going to be in John chapter 3, if you all want to start heading there in your Bibles. Most of you already know this, but just to be sure, Shannon and I are going to Chicago again for the month of July for the second half of the, I don't know, seminar, workshop, whatever it was that I did last year. So you can call me, but I don't know that there would be much I can do. But uh, Gary and Bruce and Kim, I'm sure, can more than handle any issues that need to be handled. With that being the case, this week, this Sunday, is going to be our last look at these passages that I call refrigerator verses. Those verses that our culture has taken out of context and turned into simple platitudes, things that don't mean as much as they did in the Bible when you look at them in context. And So I thought we'd save the best for last. This Sunday, today, we're going to look at probably the most famous verse in the whole world. We're going to look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see it everywhere. However, as opposed to some of the other verses that we've looked at, in context, John 3.16 doesn't mean the opposite of what the culture says it means. Sometimes we've looked at some verses and they would just, the, the way the culture used them was just totally different from what the Bible said. John 3.16 isn't quite like that. What I want you to see out of this passage is that it's, it's actually just way more than the world thinks that it is. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we just sang... My prayer this morning is that you would show us Christ. Through the preaching of your word, until you are glorified and every tongue confesses that Christ is Lord. That, that is my prayer this morning, Father. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray that. Amen. Now, those of you that have taken some Simeon classes ought to know the answer to this question. But what is the purpose of this part of your Bible, the Old Testament? I mean, why do we need to know about who begat who and kings and sleepovers with lions and where you put the candles in the temple? I mean, why do we need to know this stuff? Why did God think it was important to give us this part of the Bible. The purpose of this part of the Bible is that this is what God thought we needed to know in order to even have a chance of understanding who Christ would be. We needed to hear about kings so we could understand the king 
We needed to hear about ritual purification and cleanliness so that we could understand his true holiness. We needed to see the depravity of man play out over and over and over again so that we knew without a doubt we didn't have a hope without him. That's why God said we needed this part of the Bible so that we could understand who Jesus was. So before we get to our passage this morning, I'm going to tell you a story from the book of Ezekiel. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to paraphrase. But it's a very important part of the Old Testament because it's a part that God thought we needed to be able to understand. It's a part that God thought we needed to be able to understand what Jesus is going to say today. So it begins in Ezekiel chapter 36 in verses 25 through 27. God was talking about how he was going to redeem his people. And I want you to notice all of the I wills. He said, I will sprinkle you clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what God said he was going to do. That's how he promised to restore his people. But God had this thing with prophets where it wasn't always enough for him to just get them to say that. He also wanted them to act it out. And that was really rough for some rather than others. Like the prophet Hosea, God wanted him to tell Israelite how it was like God being married to a prostitute. And then he said, all right, Hosea, go act that out now for them. And he had to go marry a prostitute. And then after she went back into the life, God said, nope, go buy her back again. It was brutal for some of the prophets. However, back in Ezekiel, just saying that he was going to clean them and give them, give his people a new heart, that wasn't enough for God. God wanted Ezekiel to act out what that was going to look like. So in the very next chapter, in Ezekiel chapter 37, we have the story that many of you are familiar with, which is the Valley of Dry Bones. And so God took Ezekiel out into this valley, this, this big plain, Ezekiel says, and he says, I saw all over the ground these dry bones just covering the ground. They were dead, like desiccated. Think of the, the cattle skull that you see out in the middle of the desert. There's nothing there, just dry, dry bones. And God asked Ezekiel, he said, can these bones live? Like, can they do anything? And Ezekiel was like, that's way above my pay grade, God. You're the only one that knows that because right now they are dead, dead, not sort of dead. They're very dead. <laughs> so God told Ezekiel to speak the word of the Lord to the bones, and he did. And as soon as he did, Ezekiel said he heard a great rattling. And then I think a song came on. Dim bones, dim bones, dim. Right, right? Maybe not. That might have been later. But what he described was how flesh and sinew and tenons came to these bones and how they became people. They went from dry bones to being people, but he said they were lifeless. They didn't have a, a spirit in them. They were just bodies. And so God said, now, Ezekiel, now I want you to call the breath Call the Spirit and tell the Spirit to go into them. And so he, he did, and he describes how the Spirit came from the four winds and entered these bodies, and he called it this exceedingly great army of people who had been brought to life from dry, desiccated bones. 
And then God said after that, immediately following that experience in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 13 and 14. Notice the I wills again. Speaking of these bodies that had just been brought from bones, he said, These are my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. I wanted to make sure you had that story in mind because Jesus is going to be talking about this very thing in John chapter 3. Except he's going to call it new birth. And it's that new birth that I want to talk to you about this morning. Everyone in this room is on some side of this new birth that, that Jesus is going to be speaking of. I want to talk to you this morning about the same thing that Jesus is going to say. I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of this man named Nicodemus and hear Jesus say to us, you must be born again. You might already be born again, so I want you to understand why you were born again. You might not have been born again, so I want you to hear Jesus say you must be born again. In some way, shape, or form, you must be born again. And that's what Jesus is going to talk to us about this morning. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what I want you to see in those verses is that you must be born again. You must be born again in order to be born of the Spirit. In order to be born of the Spirit. Now, let me show you what I mean. If you look back to verse 1. Because understanding who Nicodemus was has a lot to do with understanding what Jesus is doing in this passage. First, notice how John describes Nick as a Pharisee. Now, we don't have a good view of Pharisees because of how Jesus was constantly on them about their hypocrisy and self-righteousness. And, and that was true. Their job description kind of made them prone to those problems. But they weren't all like that. There were some good Pharisees like Nick. They were people who were serious about their faith and took seriously God's charge to them to be holy and live by His laws. And there were good Pharisees who, to the best of their ability, tried to do that. But John also describes Nick, if you look here, as a ruler of the Jews. And that means that Nick was one of the either 23 or 27 people that made up the Sanhedrin. is the ruling religious body of the, of the Jewish nation. Think of it kind of like our Supreme Court and Congress combined into one. In other words, Nicodemus was also very well respected. However, just glance down to verse 10 real quick. And you'll notice that he says there, 
Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Meaning, not only was Nick a, a Pharisee and a leader of the Jews, but he was an extremely accomplished scholar. Notice how Jesus doesn't say a teacher. He says the teacher. Meaning, Nick must have been some really smart dude. But most importantly, in order to understand what Jesus is saying, you have to see that Nick also genuinely wanted to understand who Jesus was. This wasn't a trap like many of the other Pharisees would set for Jesus. We see that later in John. Nick genuinely wanted to understand who Jesus was. So if we put everything together that John says about this guy, we can safely assume that he was an old, uh, a, a scholar in the Old Testament who devoted his life to that end. This, this extremely well-educated, devoted man who opens up the conversation with some respectful small talk in verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Nobody can do these things if, if they're not. But Jesus wasn't having it. Did you catch it? Jesus wasn't having it. In verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Where did that come from, Jesus? Nick, Nick was a well-respected, highly educated Pharisee who genuinely wanted to understand who Jesus was. And I don't know if you caught what just happened, but in an instant, Jesus cuts him off, sweeps everything about who he was off the table, and says, Nick, you got to start over. You have to be remade completely by God. You, a well-respected Pharisee who genuinely wants to know me, have to be completely remade by God in order to even see the kingdom of God, much less enter it. You see that phrase, born again, it literally means born from above. That's what that little footnote in all of your Bible says, that it means born from above. In other words, Jesus is telling this highly educated, sincere leader of the Jews that even he needed to be remade completely remade, to be made new in a way that only comes from above. Do you hear any Ezekiel bells starting to ring? To put it in Ezekiel's language, Jesus was saying that even Nick was just a pile of dry bones until God intervened and did something with his heart. But Jesus ain't done. Look at what he says to Nick in verses 6 through 8. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you don't hear its sound, you don't know where it's coming from or going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying you must be born again from above, because people of the flesh cannot born themselves. I don't know what the right word for that is. But people of the flesh, they can't, they can't born themselves into the spirit. A few days ago, I was watching this movie about these trappers living in the northern Americas in the early 1800s. And as was surely the case with, with men like that, one of the scenes, many of the scenes, had to do with their interactions with Native Americans. 
But there was this one scene that struck me for some reason, and you guys are about to get an idea of what it's like for Shannon to live with me. The ADD brain kind of goes off in a weird direction. But one of the scenes that, that intrigued me was that there was this really older Indian man who was just walking by himself, and he had never seen a white man before. And what struck me about this scene was the idea of how much when and where we're born determines so much about our lives. I mean, think about it. This Native American had spent his entire life without a single influence from outside his tribe. Their, their customs, their rituals, their religion was all he ever knew. And I thought about the countless millions of people who, who would have been in that same position throughout history. People who were born and lived and died in a time and place where they never once heard the gospel. Just think about some random Mayan dude in, in the 6th century. Or some random Chinese lady in the 9th century. Who, who lived their entire life where all they ever heard or all they ever saw was just that culture. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they're off the hook. The Bible's very clear that there's enough evidence just in nature to convince someone of their need for God. My point is, I thought about how we had nothing to do with when and where we were born. It was all God. And I thought about how that reality dictates so much about a person's life. I thought about what it meant that God chose for my life to come into existence at a time and a place where I would hear the gospel clearly and frequently. Now I say all of that because I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Thought about how much where and when God chose for you to come into existence has to do with your life. But, but more importantly, have you ever thought about how you had nothing to do with that? Nothing to do with when and where you were born. Just, you came to life. How God decided when and where that part of you that would live for eternity would be brought into existence. You see, the first thing I want you to hear straight out of the mouth of Jesus is that we have as much to do with our spiritual new birth as we did with our natural birth. You hear me? Meaning, listen, in our natural state, we have no more chance of wanting Jesus than those dry bones would have in, in, in Ezekiel. Spiritually, everyone is like those dry bones until they are born again. Until God from above replaces their heart of stone and gives them His Spirit. It's just as Bob read this morning from Ephesians chapter 2. It's just like those bones in Ezekiel. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not mostly dead, all dead. Before God intercedes, we're like dry bones just lying on the ground. And just like those bones, we must be born again in order to even want to have anything to do with Jesus. A pastor named Skip Ryan said it this way. 
It doesn't matter who you are. Being born again was not a decision you made. Whoever you are, however you came to Christ, you have been the object of God's supernatural work on your heart. That's what Jesus says first. You must be born again in order to be born of the Spirit. And to that, in verse 9, Nicodemus gives a resounding, huh? Look what he says. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And that's a great question. Again, remember who Nicodemus is. If anybody, if anybody had what it takes to believe in Jesus, it was Nick. He is highly informed on who the Messiah would be. He knew everything about who he was going to be. This man probably had massive portions of the Old Testament memorized, like the whole book of Isaiah kind of portions memorized. He even taught other Jews about it, but most of all, he wanted to understand what Jesus was saying. In fact, this idea of a new birth, it wasn't this big mystery to him. All over rabbinical writings in Jesus' time, there was this phrase that a proselyte who had become a new Jew, like a Gentile who became a new Jew, all over rabbinical writings, it describes them as a new baby. This wasn't a foreign concept to him. If there was anybody in the world who's capable of understanding what Jesus was saying, it was Nick. So how can someone like him be left asking, how can these things be? Well, look at verse 10 where Jesus tells Nick that the reason he doesn't get it is because you must be born again in in order to understand heavenly things. He says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No, no one has ascended into heaven except, the, except he who has ascended into heaven, except he excuse me, who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. In other words, not only do you need to be born again in order to want anything to do with Jesus, but you also must be born again in order to understand anything about Jesus. Jesus says, look, Nick, I want to tell you some heavy things, some big things, some some heavenly things, some spiritual things, these things from above, but you can't understand them because you're still of the flesh. He says in verse 11, we speak of what we know. He's talking, Jesus is talking about the Trinity. We, the Trinity, speak of what we know. He says because of verse 13, because I'm the only one that has actually been up there. In other words, this is so Jesus. He says, Nick, I'm going to lay some truth on you that you can't understand until you're born again. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because those seeds are just going to lie dormant until you're born again. And then when you do, they're going to take root and germinate. And praise God, we know that that happened. We know that Nick was born again. So... What was Jesus going to tell Nick that he he knew he couldn't understand until he was born again? Well, this is the part we came here for, so look at verse 14. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now listen, I'm going to go through this slow, because this is the part that our culture gets all mixed up. First, our culture about John 3.16 has turned that verse into a decision that you need to make. That's what that verse is about. It's about a decision you need to make. And don't get me wrong, you do have to make a decision. John 3.16 is about a decision you need to make. Let me make that clear, really clear. John 3.16 is about a decision you need to make. However, the part our culture misses is the part where Jesus just spent the last 15 verses explaining that the only people capable of making that decision are those who have been born from above by the sovereign intervention of God into their spiritually dead lives. Let me be crystal clear. You are not born again after you believe in Jesus. You are not born again after you believe in Jesus. No, Jesus says you have to be born again in order to believe in Him. You have to be born again in order to believe in Him. And again, Nick is, this is why Nick is the perfect case study for this truth. If there was anyone who could have understand enough and knew enough and, and wanted to enough to know Jesus, it was Nick. But he had not yet been born again. He was just dry bones until God intervened. So those seeds of salvation, they just lay dormant until, praise God, he was born again. That's the first thing about John 3.16. That's the part that our culture leaves out. But second, and here's the more important thing that I want you to see out of John 3.16. Here's the part that our culture misses that is so much greater than what it says. Picture yourself in heaven. You're in the midst of throngs of other saints before the throne of God, praising and worshiping Christ for all of the work and everything that He has ever done. I don't know how many millennia it's been, the days are running together. Okay? That's where you are. But then the MC in heaven gets up and says, Okay, Jesus, thank you, but um, why don't you go ahead and have a seat for a minute while we get Fred up here to recognize him. Uh, for the amazing decision he was able to make while he was spiritually dead. Fred, you want to come on up here and tell us about that, that decision you were able to make, that righteous thing you were able to do without God? You're not going to ever hear that in heaven. Ever. I promise you. No. Ephesians 2 that we looked at this morning, listen, it doesn't say, even when we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, we made the right direction or the right decision. It doesn't say that. No, it says, but God made us alive together with Christ. Why? Why did God make us alive together with Christ? Brothers and sisters, here's the point. Paul says, but God, because he was rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he had for us, made us alive with Christ. 
In other words, if you walk out of here with anything this morning, I want you to hear this. Listen, when we rightly view John 3.16, when we get it into the right context and we understand what he was saying, when we reckon that we were born from above by, only by the sovereign initiative of God's loving plan to invade into our messed up lives, only then... When we get John 3.16 there, it ceases to be about the great decision that we made. When we get there, John 3.16 becomes all about the massive weight of God's mercy and love. The emphasis just slips right off of whoever believes and it lands squarely on for God so loved Now, now the praise for eternity from the saints is aimed in the right direction. God didn't have to do any of this, but he did. He could have left us all dry and dead on the ground, but he intervened. And you ask, why me? Why did you intervene in me and have me be born physically in this time and place and have me be born spiritually at this time and place? And God says, don't ask. It's way above your pay grade. I'm not going to tell you. It leaves us in this incredibly humble state of worship. You must be born again to even begin to understand, to comprehend the love that God displayed toward you when He gave Jesus to be lifted up on a cross for your sins. It's way more than just a decision that you make. It is the sovereign, loving initiative of God the Father. So this morning, I have only one application for you, and that's it. There are so many other ways we can go, but that one application I have for you this morning is just worship. Just worship. About where you would be if God had not intervened in your life. Or if you're here this morning and you don't believe, right now God intervening in your life, I pray. I'm going to read you something that you've heard before, but I'm going to read it again anyway, because it fits. I want to tell you about this God who loves you. While you're listening, if you do believe, pray for those in this room who maybe don't, that this might be the first time they hear about the love of their God. My Bible says that He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the defender of the defenseless. He's the righteousness of the unrighteous. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and the Prince who brought peace. That's the God who loves you so much. His judgment has no jurisdiction, but His love has no limits. His wrath has no wrong, but His mercy has no measurement. His purity has no parallel, but His salvation has no strings attached. And His deliverance has no deficiency. That's the God who made you alive. 
He is the Abba and the Almighty. He is the just and the justifier. He is the creator and the comforter. He is the sovereign and the sympathizer. He is the great I am and the giver of life. He is the everlasting father and the eventual comer. He is the majestic Messiah and the merciful master. Do you know him? Do you know that God? He is the deliverer of judgment and the bringer of mercy. He is the creator of life and the destroyer of sin. He is the victor of death and the one who died. He is the sheep, shepherd of the sheep and the lamb who was slain. His name is Jehovah Jireh and Jesus Christ. That's the God you've been born again to know. He wants for nothing and gives everything. He is the one who loved the world and the one who laid down his life. He is the majesty of heaven who was laid in a manger. He is the creator of mouths who was spat on in silence. He is the almighty judge who was found guilty. And he is the lion of Judah who was nailed to a cross. Brothers and sisters, that is the God who loved us so much that he made you and I to be born again from above so that we could have the chance to believe in him and not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is hard to even find the words to express our thanks, our humility, our desire to worship you. It's it brings me to join my brother Paul and just say, when will you release me from this body of death so that we can feel like our, our praise and our worship is unhindered. God, we know that you have promised to do this and so we wait in patience until you do that, Father. We worship you as best we can in our heart. And we pray that you would continue to help us and grow us and transform us into better worshipers. That through the spirit that is still alive in our newborn bodies, that, that you would continue to grow our understanding of who you are and what you've done. Bring us close to Isaiah and Ezekiel and John and others who have, have seen you as close as you can on this earth so that we might join them in their praise. Father, it's in Jesus' name I, I pray. Amen. Bruce, you want to come up?